In life, there are times when circumstances and situations are out of our control. And how do we respond to them? Finding ourselves in a place where we are unable to choose or change the outcome is hard. My generation was raised with the thought process that we can do and be anything we want. But in reality, that's not always true. We experience betrayal, loss, ruin, and sometimes we are left to pick up the pieces of our broken dreams and begin the painful process of learning to live again. Recently, God used one of the most popular verses in the Bible to help me learn a valuable lesson, and I want to share it with you. Thanks for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Walking on Water, where our focus is to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. What's the storm in your life? I'll never say that it's easy, but Jesus changes our perspective. He gives us courage to do life differently, to throw off the victim mentality that threatens to drown us in our pain, and he gives us the tools we need to live a victorious life. I'm your host, Lynette Carpenter. Let's discover more about the power-filled, faith-filled life Jesus invites us to live. Hey friends, welcome back. I'm so excited to spend another Wednesday with you. Um, I look forward to this day each week, and I'm really honored to hear from those of you who have reached out to let me know what an encouragement that this podcast has been. And I don't take that for granted. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the encouragement. So if you could take a second and just pass this on to any friends or family, teenagers in your lives, I think it could be an encouragement to them as well, and it would help to um, just spread more hope and joy in the world. So um, for those of you who are new here, welcome. My name is Lynette Carpenter, and my family... My husband and our kids, we live on a family farm in Michigan where we are crop farmers and chicken farmers, and we're also um, fishers of men. (laughs) No, we were youth leaders at our church, and so we've been working with teenagers for quite a while, and it has been a huge, huge blessing in our lives, and we enjoy it. So this coming, or this this podcast today is actually inspired by something that I shared with our teenagers back in 2020 um, at a youth retreat, and it's just something that God just doesn't, you know, hasn't let go, let me let go of. I never want to let go of it because it is such a powerful message, and I um, it's one that I can get emotional when I'm thinking about it because. Well, you'll see. (laughs) Um, But it's also something that has a a very powerful lesson inside of it. Um, If I'm being honest, okay, it's we're going to talk about Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and I am one who likes things to be fresh and um, unique or authentic, and I don't really like package deals, you know, when it comes to words. I like words to have meat on them. I like them to have emotion. I want them to convey feeling and depth and truth. And and so um, 
while that's okay, I think one of the things that I can struggle with then is moving past the familiar verses too quickly, too easily, and missing the extraordinary that's buried inside of them. And so, um, like I said, it was 2020 when God brought this verse to my mind, and I sat down and decided I'm going to really study this scripture to see what this is all about. If you're unfamiliar with it, Jeremiah 29:11 says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We love those words, and rightly so. They're beautiful words. We put them on everything, you know? Um, and and there's nothing wrong with that. And you're going to see there's even less wrong with it the more that we look at this verse today because it reveals to us a side of God that is beautiful and that is encouraging to us um, and that gives us so much hope. But these words were brought to a people in the middle of one of the darkest times in history. It was in 597 BC when King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had conquered, sorry, conquered Jerusalem and taken the people captive. Um, And you can read about this in various places in the Bible uh, about the siege of Jerusalem. So I know you can see it, read about it in 2 Chronicles 36, um, 2 Kings 24, um, Lamentations, Jeremiah, and then I believe, um, let's see, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Amos. I'm sure there's more. I know Psalms, definitely Psalms um, is referenced. Well, like some of the Psalms were written based out of that time in history. And it was a dark time, a very dark time in history. So Jerusalem was this thriving, beautiful city, and it was full of important and wealthy people, and um, it had been attacked, and it was laid bare. And everyone of importance had been taken from that city into captivity. And in 2 Chronicles, it says that only the poorest, I'm sorry, it was in 2 Kings, only the poorest of the land were left behind. How strange it must have been for those people to see this once beautiful city now laid bare, desolate, destroyed, something that had actually been like a destination um, city for people to go and see the wonders and the beauty of it. And then the people that had been taken captive, captive, the wealthy, the royal, the important, you know, cruising along through life like everything's good. And then one day, everything changes. That happens to us in life, doesn't it? It's not always because of sin. That was the case here in the situation where these people had been living in sin and God said enough is enough. And that's not always the case. There are times where, where things in life do happen and, and we're left reeling by the changes that have come and, and we're left unable to do anything about it. And I can only imagine what being exiled to a foreign land must have felt like. To be taken from your home and forced to live in another country, changes in your culture, in your language, the loss of comfort, the loss of family, the loss of freedom. These people face death and then on top of all their losses, they're grieving the greatest losses there, the loss of loved ones. So imagine the emotions that they must have felt each day, 
you know, waking up and remembering their new reality. Each day waking up and thinking of home and longing for hope and hoping to be rescued. Psalm 137. Honestly, I I seldom read the KJV. Um, but this is one that I I like it in the KJV the best. And I don't have one here. So I am going to read it to you. And probably the complete opposite, which is the Message Bible. Um, but there's such a poetic beauty to it. Um, in KJV, I think it says, By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willows in the midst thereof. Um, something about the people required of us a song. Yes, our captors demanded songs, sarcastic and mocking. This is the message now. Sing us a happy Zion song, they said. Oh, how could we ever sing God's song in this wasteland? If I forget you, Jerusalem, they're thinking of home. If I forget you, home, if I forget you, Jerusalem, let my fingers wither and fall off like leaves. Let my tongue swell and turn black if I fail to remember you. If I fail, oh, dear Jerusalem, to honor you as my greatest. And then it goes on to talk about, it, it, goes, it really turns into their, their feelings of anger all the way down to the very last phrase that says, a reward to the one who grabs your babies and smashes their heads on the rocks. I mean, it's terrible. It's, it's really sad. It starts off so sad, but then it goes to um, denial and then it turns into anger. And it's just like this journey from grief to denial to anger that we can see there in Psalm 137. And I mean, the imagery is heartbreaking and honestly, I hesitated to read it but I want you to be able to capture the depth of their pain. I want you to be able to recognize as fully as possible how completely and utterly devastated these people were because everything had changed and life was never going to be the same again. And then one day, a letter arrives and it's a letter from Jeremiah the prophet. And upon the letter's arrival, I wonder if they were excited or scared Scared because you can read earlier in the book of Jeremiah that his prophecies up to that point had not been very hope-filled. But then there was probably also some excitement that maybe God had changed his mind. What was God going to say now? Maybe they had been through enough hard stuff. Remember I said that they, God had brought them to this place for them because of their sin. And maybe they were hoping that they'd been through enough hard stuff that God was going to to relent and let them go home to Jerusalem. I can almost feel the hope that would have coursed through their veins with the expectation of deliverance, that that most certainly is what was spelled out on the pages that they held. Surely this captivity was about to end. Imagine it. Soon they'd be set free from their bondage and back to the very thing that they longed for, home, to life as it was before. I can imagine the scenarios that maybe played through their minds as they, be, they began to open the letter. Like, had, had Jeremiah struck a deal with Nebuchadnezzar? Surely that's what this was going to say. Or maybe there was a secret plan in place. Maybe this was his instructions on how to help them escape. Perhaps even now, Jer- Jeremiah was just outside those city gates preparing to set them free. And as the pages were open, how their hearts must have broken when they saw those first words. 
This is the message from God. Build homes and plan to stay. Plan to stay? No. Just reading those words thousands of years later brings tears to my eyes. Build homes here in Babylon? But there it is in black and white, the ugly reality that deliverance was not on the horizon. The letter goes on, plant gardens, get married, have children, and then have them marry. Wait, what? They must have thought we're going to be here that long? And yes, that's what the letter said. They would be there for 70 years before they'd be set free. 70 years. A lifetime of Babylon lay before them with no alternative route. No way out. You know, as Christians today, we focus so often on being set free from that which is uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about the bondages of sin, and I'm not talking about abuse, okay? Those are very different situations. I'm talking about situations that we long to escape, but we cannot avoid. Circumstances that we can't change. They come unwelcome to us, and they're unexpected. They can come in the form of death, or divorce, or disease, You know, Babylon, it can look a lot like betrayal. It can look a lot like brokenness, the death of a dream, a broken marriage, the loss of a loved one, loss of health, home, finances, or maybe you've experienced the pain of broken friendships or relationships, or you're caught in a situation where there just is no way out. What's your Babylon? It's a place for us where we land unwillingly and with no desire to stay and to open our our minds to the idea of planting a garden, of putting down roots and learning to live, even thrive in Babylon. It's offensive to our senses. Like the exiles In Psalms 137, we are violated at the thought of singing a song of joy in Babylon. Our minds can whirl at the sudden changes that come our way and we scream in denial that it shouldn't be this way. But Jeremiah didn't stop with just telling them to get up and get moving or to learn to live again. Oh no, nope, he expected even more than that. In verse seven, it says, also... Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What? (laughs) Pray for the peace and prosperity of Babylon? No, no. I don't want to live here. I want to go home. I want to go back to before, back to normal. And we can wail and scream and cry. We can search for a means of escape. We can ignore the obvious and we can attack those around us. But when you were in Babylon, you're in Babylon. But if it prospers, you too will prosper. We love to prosper, don't we? But knowing that my prosperity is connected to my enemy's prosperity is a hard pill to swallow. 
Okay, so what you're saying here is that if I'm blessed, they're blessed. And if they're blessed, I'm blessed. <laughs> it's humbling, isn't it? But it's, it's also freeing. I mentioned talking to teenagers um, back in 2020, and I shared this whole concept with a group of them. Because many of them were living, their Babylon was a broken home. It's, it's a situation where it's not by their choosing. Does that make sense? They have no option in the matter. They're living out a reality brought on by the choices of others. This is not to bring shame. Far from it. This is your Jeremiah 29 letter letting you know that there is a hope and a future. So hang with me. As I spoke with the teens, I knew that many in the group were struggling with the concept that the life they once knew was gone, probably for good. And many were struggling to push past the point of grief, denial, and anger. You know, they'd hung, they'd hung their harps on the willows. <laughs> they were depressed. They were anxious. They were feeling alone and scared, unwilling and unable to sing the songs of joy by, their rivers, by the rivers of their Babylon. And the thought of praying for blessings over their hard situations felt impossible. And though many of us are older, we struggle just the same. We reel from the searing pain of death. Or we have denial when facing loss or the anger of betrayal. And each moment is consumed when finding a means of escape, with, with finding a means of escape. We're searching for a way back away back to Jerusalem, back home, back to before. And as much as I and as much as it must have hurt Jeremiah to write those words to the exiles, I'm glad he did. Because I too needed to hear them. I needed hope. I needed a reason to shake the dust off my broken dreams and learn how to live again. Because I too have a Babylon, a place where I was brought to with no choice but to learn how to live when life before Babylon was no longer available to me. I had to learn to move past grief, denial, and anger and begin to accept that it is what it is. So what will I do about it? Am I going to stay here, stuck in my pain? Or, am I, or will I figure out how to thrive in Babylon? Because Jeremiah's reminder to the exiles rings true for us today. You can thrive in Babylon. You can learn to live and have peace and prosperity even in the place you never wanted to be. At the moment when their hearts couldn't have sank deeper into their chests, hope appeared on the pages of that letter. Yes, they were stuck in Babylon. Yes, they were asked to accept their reality and learn to live with it. It's a hard ask. But then the Lord gave those beautiful words we love to claim without acknowledging those earlier sentences. He said, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, plans to give you a hope and a future. He goes on to invite his people to search for him wholeheartedly with the promise to end their captivity and restore their fortunes. But it wouldn't be for 70 years. Life had changed, and it would never look the same for them again. Does that sound familiar? You know, I asked a little bit ago, what does your Babylon look like? How long have you been there? How hard has it been? Does the thought of staying there offend you? 
I get it. I, I, I do. I have hung my harps on the willows and wallowed in my grief plenty of times. And while your Babylon might look different than mine, I invite you to link arms and join me in praying for the peace and prosperity of our individual Babylons, even as we rise up together and begin searching for a way to build a life inside our hard situations. Take comfort, too, in knowing that God knew where to find the exiled people. After all, the letter had reached them even though they were far from home. He knows how to find you where you're at as well. And when we stop searching for a way to escape our Babylon, it is then we can pick up our harps and our hammers and begin building a new life inside the wrong side of the walls that we so despise. And dare we even consider that we might find joy while doing it. It may not be where you choose to be, but if that's where you are, I hope that you too will find the courage to rise up, to build, to plant, to, root, to plant roots, and to thrive even in Babylon. Father God, I ask for each person who is listening to this, whose hearts feel like they are in exile, whose dreams have been broken, and who feel discouraged and depressed at what lies ahead and wishing they could go back to what once was. Father God, I pray that you would bring comfort to each one and that you would give them hope, that you would give them purpose, that you would show them that you can rise up and you can live again even in Babylon. And so, Father God, I thank you for the word that you have given, that you are with us even in our places of exile. You offer us hope. You offer us a future. You offer us peace and prosperity when we pray for the peace and prosperity of our Babylon. And so, God, I thank you for revealing your heart to us through this word. And I ask that you would um, just continue to reveal your truth to us and to each person listening and to into their individual situations. I thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to share this with a friend or on your social media accounts. In fact, tag me on Instagram and I'll be sure to reshare it on my stories. Also, don't forget to hit that follow button so you don't miss an episode. I hope that you were encouraged and inspired today. Always remember, your life has purpose, you have value, you are loved, and with Jesus, you can rise above your storm. Get out of the boat, friend. Let's walk on water.